This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 36. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Today, we have one of my favorite personal finance bloggers, Kyle Prevo, on the show, who runs this site, Young and Thrifty, together with Justin Bouchard. Now, it's also great to have Kyle on the show because he has recently put together one of Canada's largest personal finance conferences, and it's actually totally free. The conference is actually all online. There's over 25 expert speakers from across Canada, and you can actually join the kickoff today at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So to get your free tickets, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. That's S-U-M-M-I-T, and you can get your free tickets there. And if you can't make it, or if you're listening to this episode in the future after the conference has already taken place, then you can actually still go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit to get an all-access pass where you will have unlimited access to all the talks whenever you want so you can watch them whenever you actually do have the free time. All right, so I hope you check it out. I'll be attending for sure. I'm actually one of the speakers at the conference too. So I hope to see you there. And once again, the link to the free tickets is buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. All right, now let's get into the interview. We're gonna talk with Kyle about some of the top financial mistakes and misconceptions that Canadians have and how to avoid them. All right, Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cornell. It's nice nice to have you back. And uh, so we were chatting a fair bit before the interview as well. And one of the things you mentioned that was that in many cases, young people in Canada, particularly in some of the major cities, should actually not be buying a home. Can you elaborate a bit on this? Yeah, I think uh, like inevitably housing has gotten or will get, depending on your definition, to a certain point where it no longer makes sense to buy a house. Uh, and I think it has rapidly approached that 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 sort of sweet spot where um, it, it just isn't rational anymore to, to buy a home. I mean, you can maybe make an argument for certain condos or or what have you, but I, I think that we're getting blinded by what I call the the religion of Canadian housing, where it's like this this uh, middle class belief, and and maybe religion isn't even a strong enough word at this point because you know if you look at the statistics in Canada, middle class Canadians are are fitting less and less the traditional model of religion. But it seems one of the things we can all agree on is that you're not a real adult until you buy a house, uh, and and then. If you don't own a house, what do you talk at, talk about at dinner parties? Uh, there's, no, there's nothing left to talk about as a middle-class Canadian if you can't talk about home prices and how crazy everything is. Uh, and I think that sort of sets a dangerous precedent where people are ignoring rent-to-price ratios. They're ignoring, if they're a young person, keeping, keeping their, uh, their career flexible so that they can move to pursue whether it's a higher wage or a more ambitious promotion or, or what have you. Uh, they're ignoring that. And they're basically betting on speculation. They're saying, uh, I think my house value will continue to go up. I need to get on the housing ladder as soon as possible, no matter what the sacrifice is. If I have to borrow from a down payment from my parents, that's fine. Uh, if I have to mortgage myself to the hilt, that's fine. I just need to get on the housing ladder as soon as I can so that I can take advantage of these skyrocketing uh, housing prices. And I think that is a very dangerous uh, sort of funnel to get into. Um, cycle to get into. And, and I think we're already starting, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this here near the end of August. And I think we're already starting to see it in some of the bigger cities. 
And I don't. I honestly don't know anymore uh, what the supply and demand point of housing prices should be. I just know that even though rents are high in Canadian major urban centers, it still makes more sense most of the time right now for young people to rent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think uh, it's really easy to just kind of go with, well, everyone I trust says to buy a house. And that's what I've been told my whole life. So that's the default thing to do without actually doing any any math or any research, right? So I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's it's like you really got to look at kind of what, what that actual price is. What is the rent? You know, how, how much are you saving? Like there's all these things to, to consider as opposed to just kind of going with the, with the default because that could be a pretty... I mean, imagine being a young person and you're stuck in like a $400,000 mortgage or something. You know what I mean? And I don't yeah, know. After, just, yeah, after scraping and saving a down payment right, for yeah. seven or eight years. Yeah, no, exactly. Do you see that a lot kind of all across Canada or primarily major cities is kind of the big the big one where you think it's really got it on hand? I think I think the religion of Canadian housing uh, knows no no cultural boundaries. It's like one thing that can bring all Canadians together. Uh, <laughs> that and the Maple Leafs, right? <laughs> and their complete yeah, exactly. And their complete ignorance of I, I think it's even more widely accepted than Tim Hortons at this point. Um, and I think that so it's shared right across the country. The thing is, you're just you're just going to get into a little bit less trouble buying a three hundred fifty thousand dollar home in Regina or Halifax or Winnipeg. Uh, than you are, or, or, or even say a $500,000 home in Calgary or Edmonton, than you will buying a $1.2 million home in Toronto or Vancouver. Uh, you know, e- even we see the GTA, it's not, it's not even really just Toronto anymore. It's anywhere within a 70 mile radius of Toronto. Uh, and, and so I think the, that's where the speculation has been most pronounced. And re- regardless of, you know, I just hear the craziest stuff when people talk about this bubble because the the fact is we're just starting to get real data on this. So when people tell you they know for a fact that because they saw two people of Asian descent walking on their street the (laughs) other day that, uh, you know, the quote unquote Chinese people are coming in and buying all the houses, uh, you know, that's that's not actually a data. That's just a couple of anecdotes. And by the way, those people could be third generation Canadians or they could be um, you know, students that have purchased a house and, and that will, no matter what tax the government puts in, they'll still be able to purchase that house. So mm-hmm. I think there's all sorts of weird, flawed government policy uh, that's coming in. Maybe it's not flawed, but I, I should say it's sort of fly by the seat of your pants policy that's being brought in. And uh, there's just sort of a weird hysteria around the idea of speculation. So whether it's Canadians that are speculating, whether it's uh, you know, first generation immigrants that are moving markets and speculating or whether it's uh, sort of just the investor class that are buying these houses purely to resell them the next year and hoping for massive gains. Mm-hmm. I think this weird speculation game that we're playing, uh, young people should probably just steer clear of that in a lot of cases. It is a bit scary how it sounds a bit like some of the conversations I'm sure people had, you know, around the the crash in the U.S., right, where it's like, oh, well, because the property always goes up significantly year to year. Like, obviously, that's going to keep happening indefinitely. That's obviously not the case, right? So I'm not saying yeah. we're going to be in store for something like that per se. But, you know, when the housing prices are, like, some of them, you know, going up like, you know, double digits a year, that's not a normal thing. So I'm no, I'm, I- I'm really hoping that people aren't expecting that to continue indefinitely. Because that's just, and, and you know, well, buying houses based on that assumption. 
It exactly, and and it and it and it can't, right? And I know as soon as you say USA or as soon as you say bubble, right away people in this country just go insane and lose all sense. And they're like, it's totally different than the USA. There's CMHC, and Canadians are better at paying mortgages than Americans, and you can't just walk away from your mortgage. And all of that is true. And perhaps the drop in Canada won't be like a sixty percent overnight drop uh, or something like that. You know, in some of the uh, regions of the U.S. that we saw, but. So I try to just stay away from this debate of like, will things be as bad as the U.S.? Mm Because truth be told, I I really don't know. I think there's some logical points to be made there that we lend a little bit differently in Canada and we have a little bit different buying power than the States does. But but um, and just our legal systems are different. So there are some like logical arguments there that it won't be quite as bad. But I, I still think that that shouldn't really affect the discussion of is buying a home in Canada today, if you're a young person, a good financial decision and sort of what factors should you be taking into that? Mm-hmm. You know, like we're going to talk a little bit about the Canadian Financial Summit that I'm a part of here coming up. And I, I do an extended conversation with a lady, uh, a young lady by the name of Helena Liu. And we'll, we're going to be discussing sort of in depth. I'm, I'll take you on a deep dive and throw a bunch of stats at you um, if, if you want to hear where I'm coming from with all this. Some quotes by people way smarter than me. Uh, if, if my little anecdotal talk here didn't convince you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that that sounds good, Kyle. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Let's let's move on to the next question, but because I think we've uh, <laughs> yeah yeah like we're not we're not trying to say you know that oh what happened in can or what happened in the U.S. is going to happen in Canada, uh, but I think we're just saying you know don't just go and buy the houses by yeah. default and don't expect that just because we've seen some pretty big gains recently that that's going to happen indefinitely because that's just that's that's a you know, recipe yeah. of disaster and that's the kind of mindset that a lot of like you know the flippers I'm sure had in the U.S. Uh, you know, when things happen, right? Obviously, there's a lot to that, but just, uh, yeah, just <laughs> just think <laughs> and do some math. Unfortunately, that's kind of the, the thing too. Um, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so Kyle, you're you're a high school teacher and so you and you actually get to teach personal finance, which is pretty cool. I wish we had that when I was, uh, when I was in school. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure you deal with a lot of misconceptions about money uh, from kids and their parents. And I'm sure you've got a lot of, you know, like the, you know, you, you, you tell something to the kids, the kids tell their parents, the parent gets mad because they think you're wrong and then they tell their kid and then it's like this whole, you know, <laughs> this whole cycle. So, you yeah. know, what are, what are, <laughs> so I don't know, hopefully you don't have too many gray hairs yet, but uh, <laughs> what are, what are some of the most detrimental misconceptions about either investing or personal finance in general that you've yeah. heard just kind of from these many, many interactions that you've had over the years? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I've been asked a couple times now, like, hey, are you going to have a class for uh, for non-high school students anytime soon in, in the area? And I certainly have considered it, but I've said no for two reasons. One is because I have to see the financial advisors in the area in the grocery store, uh, and they will not be happy with me um, <laughs> when, when I tell them that their whole business model is flawed, essentially, uh, that they should be changing up and become fee-only advisors instead of charging uh, ridiculous mutual fund rates. So that's reason one. And, and two is because high school kids, believe it or not, are much easier to teach personal finance to than adults because they come to it with very few preconceived notions. And uh, they, they just believe me, actually, uh, which, which could be dangerous, I suppose. But I try and, and back it up with a lot of uh, folks smarter than me. You know, we, we read a lot of uh, stuff from like the Andrew Halam book and the Millionaire Teacher and a lot of Preet Banerjee stuff that's out there. And, uh, and you know, I'm forgetting a lot of, of the folks I use, obviously. But I use a lot. One of, one of the real misconceptions I find when I, t- when I, I start on the first day and we, we look at a few... Uh, 
if you invest the equivalent of a pack of cigarettes or a half pack of cigarettes, you know, what compounded investment mm -hmm. returns can do for you. Um, because obviously, like you start talking about a million dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're going to lose high school kids. Their eyes right. will just glaze over. Uh, but it's just theory at that point, right? When it's, exactly. when it's that high of a number, it's like some theoretical thing. It's like talking about the GDP, like, okay, well, how does this right. relate to exactly. me? Yeah, yeah. It might as well be GDP right. for, for what they're getting. But they know people that smoke a pack a day or a half pack a day. So that is like a tangible thing. They know that people can do that, that you can work a regular job and that you can smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm -hmm. And we show like, here's what happens if you invest, you know, within an RSP. And then and in tandem with that lesson, I'm like, don't ever utter the phrase, it's time to buy RSPs. It's the buy RSP season. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've purchased RSPs this year. Uh, <laughs> anything like that, I'm like, do not say that. That's a pet peeve of mine. Like, I will do my best to fail you in this course if I hear you utter those words. <clears throat> and so, of course, they're like, well, so then at some point in the course, you know, their teenage uh, instincts kick in and they'll have heard at home their parents will say, Oh, yeah, I bought RRSPs this year. Right. And then, of course, they take uh, great perverse joy in correcting their parents and being like, Mr. Prevo said that there's no such thing as buying RSPs, that RSPs are free to open, and you can open them at any place, as many places as you want, uh, and they're not an actual investment. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, their parents get super defensive and say, well, I'm going to have to have a talk with that, Mr. Prevo, because <laughs> I'll tell you right now that I buy RSPs, and yeah. that RSPs are a thing, and I purchase them from my financial advisor. And then, of course, we get, so then they come down here and <clears throat> and uh, we have a little chat. <laughs> and then oftentimes by the end of the chat, uh, you know, we, I'm not sure if, if we're seeing totally eye to eye, but sometimes they leave saying, I think I got to get a new financial advisor. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and and sometimes they, they just, you know, there's, there's this like real fear that uh, when it comes to money that, that people's... Um, I call it the emperor has no clothes syndrome. If, if you've ever heard sort of the parable of the emperor has no clothes, nobody except the little kid wants to tell the emperor that he's not actually wearing any clothes. Mm. And I find that's how it is with personal finances. No one wants to admit that they don't really know what they're talking about. Right. And so when you say, no, you actually buy investments and put them within an RSP or you shelter them in an RSP, I actually just use a basic metaphor like a box or a bucket to describe RSPs and TFSAs and RESPs to my students. And so they catch on right away. Then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that. And I'm like, okay, well, then what, what, I'm interested to know what do you have in your RSP? And they're like, well, like investments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's one of these common misconceptions in Canada. We, we talk about RSP season, which I love the fact that it's like, well, only once a year can you buy an RSP. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the fact yeah. that most Canadians believe that, that that's a thing. Really? It, just blows, mm. it just blows my mind uh, mm. <clears throat> that folks don't understand that you can automate RSP contributions. You can self-automate by just, you know, on the fifth of every month or whatever, uh, purchasing your ETF or purchasing your, your, you know, sending it to your robo-advisor, whatever you're going to do. So that, that's my number one pet peeve. My number two pet peeve is, uh, and this ties into what we just talked about, my home is the best investment I ever made. And if I had a nickel for every time uh, I, I'd heard that, I wouldn't need to be worried about compound investment returns because I think I'd be rich at this point with all the middle-class Canadians I've heard say, my home's the best investment I ever made. And I, I don't like that for a couple of reasons. One, most of the time, these people plan on living in their homes as long as possible. And most of the time until they pass away, I live in a rural community. So that's sort of a reality for a lot of folks. So it's like, well, then if you never plan on selling your home, it's not an investment, is it? It's, it's simply a right. really nice luxury. 
and uh, a place to live, which is great, good on you, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's not actually an investment unless you plan on selling it and living off the proceeds. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've had to eat my words a couple times because I have been actually wrong. Sometimes when folks say this, they, they unconsciously are correct because they have invested in very poor mutual funds when they've purchased their RSPs, as they say. <laughs> uh, they've bought very bad mutual funds if they've invested at all. And they actually don't have any other investments. They maybe have some money in a high interest savings account or perhaps they've purchased a GIC or something like that. But in some cases, their home actually by default is the best investment they've ever made because they have no other investments or assets. Uh, you know, when a big pickup truck is the only other investment that you've ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I say investment with air quotes here. Yeah, I was, was going to uh, say like a truck investment. <laughs> After yeah. using it for work, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, it's not even an asset level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so... I'm like, maybe uh, you're a contractor and you're using that to, I don't know, exactly. <laughs> carry your That's crew and supplies around. <laughs> so those are sort of the two things. There's obviously a lot more, but it is interesting uh, when you when you combine just the real financial illiteracy of most, most Canadians with the teenage instinct to try and correct your parents at all points just to show how, sm- how much smarter you are than them. Mm-hmm. Uh like oftentimes whatever Mr. Prevost said in class gets lost in translation along the way and uh, it's led to a few um, interesting encounters but <laughs> I believe it yeah and you mentioned the RSP thing I find with TFSAs it's especially prevalent because like just just the way that the marketing um, has been built around them is that their savings accounts just like you have a regular savings account but this one's even better because you'll get a maybe you'll get a higher percentage and oh and it's tax-free right so it sounds like a no-brainer and so people kind of associate with like a regular savings account that you have at the bank which is which is really smart from a marketing per- like if you're a marketing manager at a bank they've convinced people that that's what it is i'm sure they probably got a raise or something because that's you know because then obviously you know they're paying you their two percent and then i don't know they're, they're probably investing it right and earning significantly more i find that with the tfsa's a lot where people are like oh yeah i have my tfsa savings account you know you can actually invest things there right i, But, I uh, often i often will talk to groups of business teachers cornell these are these are people that teach business Uh, some of them actually teach personal finance. There's a few, uh, but like they're they're familiar with things like you know interest and dividends and stuff. They actually have no idea that uh, you can invest in a huge variety of assets within a TFSA. Really? They have no idea. In fact, they look at me very skeptically when I tell them that. That's actually very scary. I had no idea it was like that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is true. I always laugh at these. Uh, Uh, sort of self self uh, forms that they get Canadians where they ask them like are you confident that you know about money or some variation on that theme mm-hmm. you know like are you confident that you know the difference between TFSA and RSP and like 60% of Canadians are like yes mm-hmm. and uh, which is which is so, to some people they're like oh my god 40% don't know and I'm like oh that number is way larger mm-hmm. those are definitely emperor has no clothes people right. I would say it's definitely closer to 10% mm-hmm. than 60% um And it's just people that don't want to admit that they have this huge blind spot. It's it's like it, when you ask people if they're an above average driver, and like probably 98% of Canadians will say that they're an above average driver. <laughs> That's uh, right. That's right. You, you know, clearly there should be a few more people with their hands up there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but it's interesting, yeah, when you talk when you talk about your um, the parents coming right to, to have a discussion with you. Uh, it'd be interesting to to use that cigarettes example, right, with a compound interest or like just with the compounding. And just say, okay, now let's apply that whole that same 
sort of calculation to what fees you're paying on your mutual funds right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, then you then you go to drive home and your 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 car has uh, is a little scratched or damaged <laughs> from the angry parents. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the angry financial advisors that you uh, <laughs> that know where you work. <laughs> I won't slander anyone on your podcast here, Cornell, but there's uh, one particular very successful financial institution that makes a lot of money off mutual fees and they've bought the naming rights to uh uh, we'll just call it the Winnipeg football team. And uh, <laughs> and I always say, like, hey, to put your name on a building, where do you think that money comes from? Mm-hmm. Like, this this group has so much money that they can afford to buy marketing, and they own a brick-and-mortar business on every corner of every city in Canada, and they've got their name on every, uh, you know, major sporting venue and stuff. Where do you think that money comes right. from? Like, uh, does it, like, are they just that good at investing their own money? Like, no, that's your money that, right, that right. is... Uh, that, that's building that stadium or whatever. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can... Uh, <laughs> we could go on that side. We, we for- could go on for a while. Yeah, yeah, this is fun. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, to switch things up a bit, so you've done a lot of research on robo-advisors in Canada. And actually, the, the, the article you wrote on it, like a full-blown guide, it's, it's the most... In best and kind of in-depth one I've ever seen. So that's just awesome. And it's really easy to find because it always ranks high on Google as well. So, I mean, kudos uh, to that. So, but what is your take on robo-advisors versus other low-cost options? Like, so for example, Tangerine comes to mind, TDE series comes to mind. So what's your view on robos versus those guys? And then comparing those guys to the really kind of ultra-low-cost yeah. options, which, and in there I would put basically, if you just buy ETFs yourself, that's, I mean, to me, that's pretty much the most ultra-low-cost option you can go. What's What are your thoughts about kind of these three different options? Yeah, so I have like sort of a macro thought and a micro thought. So the, mm-hmm. the macro thought that like, the big picture for most Canadians is whatever whatever of those versions, whether you're talking about TDE series, Tangerine, uh, Turnkey portfolios, the Robo Advisors, the Do It Yourself, whatever is whatever's going to motivate you to do it, pick that one, because at the end of the day, the vast majority of the benefit you're going to get from from any of those options. Mm-hmm. Um, now, probably if you're listening to a podcast called Build Wealth Canada, you're ready for a little more nuance than that. But if your friend comes to you and says, what should I do out of these? Just tell him yes. And he'll say, what do you mean? <laughs> yes. Yes. Just pick one. Just pick one. And in fact, you can read about the RSP TFSA thing later. For right now, just open an account and start because that's honestly where most Canadians are at. Uh, now, obviously, your podcast is not most Canadians. So to drill down a little bit, um, you know, uh, we've got a, a nice little calculator at autoinvest.ca. And if you're just a pure fees person, you can go to autoinvest.ca and you can see how you can input maybe not all of your variables, but we've done a pretty good job. I, I got to give a shout out here to uh, to the Because Money crew. You know, John and Sandy have, have done a fantastic job building the calculator and, and we're running it now. Um, and it'll give you just a pure fee breakdown of what will be cheapest for your specific circumstances. Uh, but obviously there's more than fees to take into consideration. So uh, I'll give you just a brief context here. I've been a huge fan of do-it-yourself investing. I know you and I, I think I was on the podcast here uh, a couple years ago talking about ETFs and, and sort of the bare bones uh, way of doing things. And I still, that's what I use to this day. However, I got really tired of preaching, do it yourself, do it yourself, do it yourself. And folks would read the free ebook that we give out that shows exactly how I invest my money. And uh, I would inevitably get these emails Okay, Kyle. Well, I want to do this, and I, 
I started opening up my discount brokerage and then I, I, I started reading something on, on, you know, stock picking or whatever. And, and I still haven't really got around to it or I started doing this and then I couldn't decide what account to open or what brokerage to go with. So I didn't do anything or I started it and then I waited till the end of the month to make my contributions and there was never any money left at the end of the month to make my contributions with, or I started to read. And basically there was just, I think both for both of us, Cornell, we're like, perhaps too logical to the, to an extreme where people would find us a little bit weird in how logical we are with how we make decisions. And I, it, I know it, I'm it, weird. I've accepted that fact years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I just it, embrace exactly. it now. <laughs> Same with me. Right? Um, and, and so when I try to put myself in the brain of, of sort of the average person that just doesn't care about investing all that much, that just wants a solution that, that will help them out. Um, People weren't they, they weren't overcoming the obstacle of do-it-yourself investing, just the basic logistics of it. And obviously, it's still by far it's it's significantly cheaper than robo advisors are, or even the TD series or, or Tangerine. Um, but there was just a few critical logistical obstacles. Whether it was the math involved, whether it was just understanding the concept of passive versus active investing, the number of people I had that were like, "All right, I got my ETFs." But is now a good time to buy into the market? Right, right. The number right. of emails I get that are like that, and I just shake my head and be like, "So you skimmed my book and ignored <laughs> what you didn't want to read, and and now you want me to give you stock tips on on when I can predict the market? Like like as if I would be like giving away free. Like if I could actually predict the market, I I wouldn't be giving it away free through Gmail. I can assure you. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And yeah. so. What I did is I started recommending these robo-advisors, which I felt a little bit guilty about at first, truth be told, because I don't personally use them. Uh, my but, buddy, but, you're very, but you're very transparent about it, and I like how you did that, because like in your guide, you talk so much about them and everything, right, and the pros and cons, and you, you know, yeah. uh, but then, but I, and I, when I first started reading it, I was like, I was like, holy crap, did Kyle like switch over to robos? I thought he was like a do-it-yourself investor guy. Like, why would he? And I started reading more of it just to figure out why you switched because I'm right, like, right. really? Like, why would he switch? That makes no sense. And then I saw at the bottom, you're like, disclaimer, I still do it myself. It's still the least expensive way to do it. So I was like, okay, okay, good. This is just like to actually help other people who maybe aren't yeah. like into this stuff as much as you and I are. So I, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Sorry to cut you off, but I had to- No, no, that's that exactly. Out. Like my, my buddy, Justin, that I run Young and Thrifty with, he actually uses uh, Wealthsimple. Um, uh, I've, I've got several friends that use Modern Advisor, Nest Wealth. Um, and uh, like I, I actually have, have, I used to try and like get my buddies onto my geeky level and be like, do it yourself. Mm. And, and now I'm just like robo-advisor. That's what I just <laughs> recommend. And I'd recommend yeah. they read the article. And uh, what I usually tell people is, look, okay, it really boils down to, to a few things. <clears throat> One is, uh, how much is the, are the fees going to be worth to you? So figure that out using our auto invest calculator if you want, and then figure out if, uh, the convenience factor of the robo advisor where you can literally just automate your contributions every month and it's totally taken care of for you. And there's someone there to ask questions to, whether that's through the phone, whether it's through email, uh, online chat, decide how much those things are worth to you. And also decide if you want to do, cause do it yourself investing, I, the way I describe it to people is it is applying grade 9, 10 math. Right. It is, the, the math is not, it's not rocket science, but be honest with yourself about whether you want to revisit grade 9, 10 math concepts every month. Mm -hmm. And that's not everyone that wants to do that. And there's no crime in that. Like, 
I tell people, you know, like truth be told, I don't find it all that impossible to do. I, I find it pretty straightforward. But if you throw me into a grade 9, 10 French class, my mind, my brain is spinning. Right. So don't be too proud to be like, you know what, grade 9, 10 math wasn't my thing. Because what you're going to do is that pride is going to keep you from investing at all. And you're just going to sit into paralysis by analysis and you're never actually going to get around to, uh, to investing. So take a look at the convenience factor. Um, and, and, and sort of decide whether it's worth it for you. And, and again, we've got a little more nuance uh, if you go to that robo-advisor guide on Young and Thrifty. But, but basically, they all subscribe to various versions of passive index investing. And that's the main thing, that asset allocation, passive investing. You're already sort of 80, 90% of the way home, no matter which of those options you choose. It just becomes that, that cherry on top. I want the cherry on top, but some folks are like, no, nah, I'm cool just getting the Sunday right. with very minimal effort. Is that the quote from uh, the Big Short? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, something like that. Yeah, the sprinkles of the cherry. Yeah, I'm not as cool as yeah. uh, as. Uh, it's like I get the cherry, uh, but you get the Sunday. You get the Sunday. Yeah, who's right, yeah. right in there? Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not as right. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a that was a good good movie. Um, okay, no, awesome though. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for showing that. I always crack up whenever I start talking to you. Another thing too is like, so a lot of Canadians, right, are really interested in dividend paying companies, especially now. You know, a lot of Canadians are getting older. They're more, you know, they're getting more and more interested in the kind of the income side of things as opposed to just growth. So, what are your thoughts about doing kind of the index investing versus just dividend investing versus maybe doing a little bit of both, right? So having some in kind of right. broad market indexes and some stocks maybe in like a you know non-registered account you get the dividend tax credit that kind of thing yeah and again so this is like the macro versus micro conversation for me the 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 macro for most canadians is yes do it and they're like do what just do it like if if you're gonna stick to dividend investing principles you're gonna be you're gonna have a lot more in common than not with index investors so if dividends really are what motivates you to get investing and to save money Go for it. I got nothing against dividend investing. I prefer the simplicity of index investing for most Canadians uh, in most circumstances. And and the funny fact is that when you look at the Canadian market, uh, if you if you look at a, uh, who the top dividend uh, <clears throat> sort of producers are, and you look at a Canadian index, th- those they're, it's all the same companies, right? It just is depends on sort of how how weighted you're going to be in RBC versus Potash Corp. But you're going to have both RBC and Potash Corp. Uh, in your portfolio to some degree. So with with the biggest companies in Canada also being solid dividend producers, uh, you're going to have a lot of crossover there. I, I think for me, um, the one instance is basically exactly what you just highlighted there. If, if you max out your TFSA and your RSP using super easy uh, index solutions like we just talked about, whether it's robos or TD or, or do-it-yourself ETFs, I think then dividend stocks do make do make a lot of sense. For like, so if you're gonna get, we'll get, we'll get super niche here and say like, if you're gonna do like the Smith maneuver or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, or invest in uh, in a taxable account, a non-registered account, then I think dividends make a lot of sense. And for someone like yourself who's uh, producing dividend income to uh, to live off of uh, or, or to sort of sustain their financial independence, I think then uh, you know drilling down into dividend investing makes a lot of sense. I still think, honestly, you could go with a basic index approach and just pay an accountant to figure it out, uh, and and still be again, you're you're accomplishing eighty percent of what you want, but because um, because that's that's what it boils down to with in in non-registered accounts is um, sort of your your tax preparation with index funds becomes a bit of a pain in the butt, 
Right. Is, is that sort of where, like, do you agree that that's sort of one of the main considerations at that point? Yeah, yeah. I'm relatively new to non-registered account investing right now. Relatively recently, we maxed out our TFSAs and RSPs. So it's kind of now where I'm starting to do all the kind of research and everything and how to do it effectively. So, but yeah, the, the, the tax kind of, you know, all the tracking and the adjusted cost base, you know, all that stuff is kind of on my on my radar now because it has to be because <laughs> I still want to keep investing, right? Even though the accounts, the registered accounts are full. So yeah, I don't, so I, I don't have too much to say on it yet because I, I'm it's still in the process of kind of researching it, but I, I have heard that it's, it is kind of a pain to, <laughs> to deal with a little bit as well. Yeah. Like from the tracking, from the taxation perspective. Yeah. That, that's what it, it really boils down to. I think at the end of the day, dividend investing is still a long-term buy and hold. Um, I think it's got a lot in common. At the end of the day, I still am not sold on the idea of whether you're talking about dividend or growth investing or whatever, that picking stocks, you're going to outdo the market average. Mm -hmm. And so really, that's what it, it honestly just boils down to for me. But <clears throat> as, as I've sort of, uh, you know, talked to more and more just people about personal finance, I, I try not to get boiled down in like the dividend versus index debate, the TFSA versus RSP debate. The, I try not to get too boiled down at first because I, I feel like oftentimes people miss that forest for the tree that's right. straight in front of them. And if you get the big things right before you drill down into the nuance, then you're going to be well off. If you get lost in the nuance and never actually take the big picture into consideration, you're going to lose out on uh, a lot of investment returns and a lot of sort of lifestyle perks you could have had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, for sure. And then kind of one second last question I want to ask you as well is just about bonds in general. So right now, you know, there's there's definitely it's I get the impression that there are quite a few Canadians that are getting older. They theoretically should have a lot more a much more significant portion of their portfolio in bonds, but they're basically reluctant to buy them because one, they have the lower returns. And also now there's a lot of anticipation of, of interest rate increases, right? Like the bank of Canada finally increased the rates. There's, you know, people are anticipating it's going to keep going up, which, you know, it makes, is it going to make the, the bond prices fall, right? So people are very, very nervous about it, even though kind of a lot of the theory is saying, yes, you should be buying bonds as well, especially kind of, you know, if you're approaching retirement, that kind of thing. What are your thoughts on all of that right now? Yeah. Like that's, and that's, this is getting to, yeah. Now it, you're dealing with some pretty nuanced stuff and a little bit of speculation here, mm -hmm. which becomes a little bit more opinion oriented. Like, I just have no idea, honestly, what the Bank of Canada is going to do. I seriously wonder, you know, you look at historical averages, it doesn't seem to make sense. But then again, you look at our demographics and you look at how in debt people are. And, and I'm not sure that, that we can raise rates all that much. I, right. I think there's an argument on both sides. So I don't really care to speculate as to where bonds are going to go up. I think there is some really interesting data out there. Ed Rempel actually has presented this uh, in a pretty interesting way. And he's, uh, he's shown that, you know, with people living longer uh, on average and, and sort of the different things we can expect in retirement versus when a lot of this traditional wisdom was, was created, uh, basically that you might be better off staying with a much higher equities. Like the old rule of thumb was your age minus 20 in bonds sort of thing, mm -hmm. you might find yourself running out of money sooner rather than later if, if you're that conservative in your portfolio. On the other hand, uh, it's, it's, it's like the stereotypical financial advisor thing, right, where you just say it depends. If you've accumulated enough assets where you can live exactly the lifestyle you want and, uh, you know, investing in bonds and GICs or, or what have you gives you enough income, 
then what the heck? Why take the risk? Right, right. Uh, there's, there's no reason to be in equities just for the sake of it. Um, so I see, I, I, I guess it's, it's pretty nuanced. Personally, for me, I don't have any bonds in my portfolio as a young guy. Mm -hmm. uh, really, the only thing I'm investing for right now <clears throat> is my, my goal is just retirement. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I, I don't have sort of a, a midterm goal like buying a house or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, my wife and I don't have any children. I, I, there's no plans to have children uh, as of today. Obviously, if, if that changes, then an RESP would come into play or something like that in terms of investment goals. But right now, really, my only investment goal is <clears throat> 20 to 30 years away in terms of an investment horizon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so therefore, I don't have any bonds in my portfolio. I think there's an argument to have 10% in bonds. I know there's folks right. that are going to get academic on me here and talk about uh, you know, horizon optimal optimal horizons and optimal outcomes, but uh, I just keep it simple and stick in all equities for right now. Gotcha. If you if you were, let's say, going to retire in five years and you didn't have, because you're a teacher, right? But let's assume you, you weren't and you didn't have that pension as well. Would you actually be putting money in the bonds or would you be, or would, do you think you'd still be kind of all equities or, or something yeah. in the middle? Yeah. You know, I, I probably would. I probably would have uh, uh, like maybe a 30, 40 percent. I'd have to look at it. And again, it obviously depends on your individual circumstances. Mm -hmm. But but I, I, I probably would have some, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe some long term bonds. I might look at a bond, some different bond ETF options <clears throat> and, and perhaps maybe high interest savings account. I think some of the online high interest savings accounts that that are out there, their rates are actually pretty competitive with a lot of the short term bonds right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I would definitely look at, at taking away some of the risk in my portfolio just so if 2008 hits, I'm not forced to liquidate a substantial part of my portfolio right. at an inoptimal time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. Yeah, especially if you're doing like a full retirement where you're not working at all anymore and you actually do need <laughs> the income from your investments or else you're, well, you, you, you need it to eat basically. So exactly. point, the options yeah. are, are, are a lot different. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that sounds good. Kyle. So let's, uh, let's talk a bit about the Canadian Financial Summit that you're organizing. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so basically uh, what we're going to do at the Canadian Financial Summit is bring together uh, sort of 25 experts in Canadian personal finance, and, and including, you know, Canada's uh, best-looking, most charismatic podcaster, uh, Cornell Schweiber. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I tell Preet Banerjee that when he comes on too. Um, <laughs> and so we're going to get these 25 folks together, and uh, we're going to get them all in one place, and you can stream their sessions live. I'm going to ask them sort of what what are what do you want to talk about what are you passionate about right now or, or sort of what what do you have maybe that's a little bit unique in your story and uh, and, and we're gonna put them online and you just head on over to canadianfinancialsummit.com and you sign up and then you're gonna get an email on September 13th or September 14th and it's gonna say hey come check out these great speakers and you're just gonna head on over and hit play and you're gonna get the benefit of sort of seeing you know, some of these great speakers that I can pretty much guarantee you'd never get their schedules to line up to get them at the same conference. And even if you could, you would never get those guys' schedules to line up with your schedule. I can't just go jet setting off to Toronto at the drop of a hat. I don't think most Canadians can, uh, or, or perhaps they'd prefer not to. So my pitch is that you don't even have to get out of your PJs or your most comfy t-shirt. You don't have to worry about makeup or fancy shoes or impressing anyone. You just head to CanadianFinancialSummit.com and uh, you can see sort of experts from around Canada, like Preet, like Cornell, like Rob Carrick, uh, John Chevro, Ellen Roseman. We got a lot of folks that uh, you'll probably recognize there. 
Yeah, it's, it's a fully stacked group though. It's I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm gonna I'm gonna be listening to I think all the sessions because I'm I don't know, I'm just really excited. So thanks for organizing that, Kyle. That's awesome. And then apart from that, where else can everyone find you as well? Uh, well, you'll see me writing from time to time in a few places, but youngandthrifty.ca uh, is is where you're. It's easiest to to find it, uh, myself. So yeah, youngandthrifty.ca and the Canadian Financial Summit. Make sure uh, if you're a fan of Build Wealth Canada, I, I think you're going to really enjoy the Financial Summit. And big shout out to Canadian Money Saver and Five Eye Research for helping us put that together. Awesome. All right, Kyle. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, look forward to uh, to the summit. All right. Thanks for having me, Cornell. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to get your free tickets to the Canadian Financial Summit by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. That's S-U-M-M-I-T. And if you're listening to this episode in the future or can't make the conference today, then you can still go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit to get your all access pass, which will give you unlimited access to all the talks so that you can watch them at your own leisure whenever you do have the time. All right. So I hope to see you at the conference and talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 